0: Uh, I was going to change it up and be weird. This is post-pizza dinner Matt at... Obs- no, that's stupid, because it makes it sound like I ate my cat. It does. Yeah. Ew. God, she is so pretty, though. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, and you can like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. You can also uh, support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive well, for an exclusive. RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. Uh, Tiny and I just recorded a very off-the-cuff uh, Patreon-exclusive thing that ran the gamut of talking about birthdays, which Tiny is on the cusp of his, mm-hmm. and uh, we also talked about blockers, and what did I talk about? Oh, uh, IMDb Free Dive. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, check that out at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Once again, I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and with me today is co-host, Tiny. Hello. Hi, Tiny. Hey. How, uh How how you feeling? Oh, I was going to try to do a pun of some kind on your birthday and everything, yeah. but yeah.
1: Oh, I feel so old. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. I'm going right. to be 32. Mm-hmm.
1: Just being a dramatic millennial.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Old man. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, that's interesting, though. So you don't feel like you're... I don't know, biological clock ticking or anything. Age is just a number, (laughs) bro. Nice, nice.
1: (laughs) No, I've never been obsessed about, first of all, celebrating my birthday. (laughs) Right. Secondly, like, what it means philosophically or, like, Mm -hmm. whatever, like it's literally the calendar turns another day like i just right uh, the same way i feel about like mm. new years and stuff
0: yeah i i definitely understand that i think yeah. fecus has kind of a similar kind of philosophy yeah. which if you're listening to this fecus can you believe that it's already tiny's birthday <laughs> 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 God. I thought we were just here i know he's never gonna be on the podcast again <laughs> uh yeah so anyway that's 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 awesome well congratulations on living for another year thank you and yeah. uh yeah congrats on, on 32 I, thank you thank you i don't have a gift for you i feel bad don't give um, me a gift yeah like oh, i said okay.
1: not big on celebrating it
0: oh, okay yeah i did offer you pizza you did yes. the food not my cat <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah i told my parents um, i was like don't get me anything for my birthday oh uh, really I'm a grown man like interesting don't. so they got me a card oh nice yeah my wife didn't give me anything either. i was like i don't want. Oh, anything. really yeah i'm just That's not it's like I, i'm over it i guess wow is this like, like a
0: new thing because i mean i got you blade runner 2049 last year yes and so i if,
1: adored it and i watched yeah. it oh, and nice. it would have made my top 10 if i'd watched the damn thing nice before uh we recorded but mm. uh but yeah i don't know it's it's not that i'm like bitter or like oh birthdays right. are not saying that it's just like i don't
0: it's I don't it's uh gone are the days where you can be excited about your birthday and like where like you open your mail and it's like oh i got a card with five dollars exactly yeah. yeah yeah i'm over that so i totally get that i uh my birthday's june 26th though so if anyone wants to give me a gift that's fine cool um no i'm kind of the same way though honestly it's yeah. kind of like i i've always felt um uncomfortable like receiving gifts Okay. Um. Just in a weird way, I just feel like it It makes me feel like kind of, I don't know, uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. But again, guys, June twenty sixth. <laughs> um, Let's say you're yeah. not really living up to that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so this is um, gonna be a loopy episode. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I just gorged myself with pizza, the food. Um, <laughs> and Tiny is uh is <laughs> Tiny's, Tiny's patience is growing thin um, around yes, me. Yes, it is. Um, but yeah, this is our first <laughs> full episode since the Year in Review episode. It is. Um, which, if you guys are listening and you, we just recently picked you up from the Year in Review episode, welcome. Um, our intros are usually a lot cleaner <laughs> than we've just done. But <laughs> again, I'm all doped up on pizza. Um, so yeah, but but we do have... This episode is... Uh, going to be filled with a lot of stuff. We actually have a lot of stuff to go through. We have some news items to go through, some housekeeping, uh, some big kind of exciting news, um, on the podcast as well. Um, and then eventually we're going to get to a review of The Upside, uh, starring Brian Cranston and, uh, Kevin Hart. But first I do have some housekeeping to go through. First of all, first and first and first of all, uh, we have a promo, from uh, a friend of ours podcast. Actually, Tony had given me uh, the promo for a podcast that he is helping to produce. Um, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I'll go ahead and play the, uh, play the uh, promo here. Now the podcast is called, you're going, you're going to love this or not. And the website for that is, <clears throat> Excuse me. The website is Y-G-L-T-O-N dot com. And here's the promo for You're Going to Love This or Not. Hi, I'm Matt.
2: And I'm Josh.
0: And this is You're Gonna Love This or Not. You know, one of my great pleasures in life is to bring people down into my basement and subject them to a terrible, terrible movie that I hope they might like.
2: One of my great joys in life is to come to Subterranean Fun Pit, watch a movie that Matt is convinced I'm going to love, and then tell him about how much i
0: hate it so we've got a long list of movies to go through and every uh, month we're gonna come on and have josh watch a movie talk about it a little bit and see where it falls in uh, the great pantheon of terrible movies
2: and i'm pretty sure by the end of this i'm gonna develop some form of stockholm syndrome well anyways this is our podcast have fun listening to us and as always matt your son of a bitch I love you, Josh.
0: Okay, yes. Yeah, so that is a new podcast that's coming out uh, soon. Very excited about it. You can check that out at com, And uh, yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Can't wait to check out that podcast. And yeah. So, Tiny, we have a few news items to go th- uh, This week some pretty uh some pretty sizable things have happened for totally, all of us. Totally,
1: yeah, definitely. Uh
0: so Mike, our own Michael White, mm-hmm. which I was really hoping that he would be able to be on this episode, but that that's fine. Yeah. Uh he uh got his first article published on bloodydisgusting.com.
1: That's so cool.
0: So awesome. Uh, his, his, I'll put a link to the show, in the show notes, of course. But his, uh, he posted, he, uh, had an editorial on Bloody Disgusting called, as horror, as horror, Fr- as horror franchise remakes evolve, let's talk about how to classify them. Uh, again, that's at bloodydisgusting.com. I was so, I for one am super proud of him. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm so excited about, about, uh, the prospect of him writing more.
2: Mm
1: hmm.
0: Um, and the article is amazing. Like,
1: it's an article I would stop and read if I didn't know, who, even if I didn't know who Mike was. Like, absolutely, I didn't just read it because Mike wrote it. Like, it's well mm-hmm. written and a great thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. very thorough and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this is just Mike's great. I, I love Mike. Mm-hmm. He, uh, when we recorded our bonus episode, um, reviewing Escape Room that just went up, uh, he. Uh, like after we were done recording, he was like, "I was kind of um, so I think I might have some uh, I might be posting some stuff on BloodyDisgusting.com." <laughs> and I was like, "That's amazing!" And he's like, "I was kind of nervous to tell you about it." I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so excited for you. That's um, awesome. Yeah, and part part of it is that he was uh uh <laughs> he was nervous because the post that he the article that he posted that was posted just the other day. Is actually a a concept that we were working on for a podcast episode. Yeah. Um, we actually recorded like half of it. Um, which I'm fine with us not doing. (laughs) Uh, just because it's been so long and we, uh, and it works a lot better, I think, in, uh, written form. Yeah. And especially written by Mike, a master of the English language. Right. Um, literally. He has has his masters. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and then the other, so so yeah, check that out at bloodydisgusting.com. I'm hoping that that means that Mike is going to get to uh write more stuff for bloody disgusting. Super super uh proud of him and excited for uh him to his voice to get out uh further. Definitely. And uh, of course here we are going to be giving them the good old obsessive viewer bump. Yep. So that little website bloodydisgusting.com will, will be able to get some traffic from our Absolutely. Podcast. <clears throat> I'm just joking. There's like a fraction of people <laughs> listen to this versus bloody disgusting. There are dozens of us. Yes. Dozens. Uh, but it was also, it was really cool. Cause like I'm, I was so uh, excited for Mike as well, because like it got, it garnered some good, conversation in the comments yeah there's lots of comments going on yeah and like like that's one thing i was like kind of nervous about for like on his behalf like just as an anxious person just like oh comments don't read the comments and then (laughs) my curiosity got the better of me and i was like oh they're actually really good yeah yeah so so yeah so check that out at bloody um also final thing on that is that i was so um like uh, i was just flabbergasted at the at the fact that like if you went to bloody com today like his article is featured right there it's yeah, right there on the home man that's crazy it's so awesome so incredibly happy for mike yep um so the news pieces don't uh stop there i guess i don't know <laughs> um i i got uh an email uh yeah you got your own big news buddy yeah i, was just, you know, I was just one of those <laughs> um the, there's a, uh, there's a, a collective of film critics in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's IndianaFilmJournalists.com. Uh, it's the Indiana Film Journalists Association. Um, I'm now officially a member. Um very cool yeah i was super excited and it kind of peeked behind the curtain um i'd applied last year and i was politely declined and they, they gave like reasons like well you know yeah at, like if you do more coverage like of local stuff and uh post more like reviews and everything then then it was like
1: really constructive yeah. like,
0: oh absolutely yeah i remember yeah. It, yeah and so basically um i kind of took that took that uh to heart I guess and I was working like like all year toward that like I wrote tons of reviews on Letterboxd and uh made a huge effort for uh, Heartland so kind of a peek behind the curtain that's why I've been so like kind of uh active um and not like complacent um, yeah. as I have been in years past <laughs> um, uh, and so yeah, so I went ahead and just kind of just resubmitted an application, uh, up- updated some information on the application itself, and uh, very ple- very pleasantly surprised, or very very pleased to announce, and grateful that uh, I was uh, selected to be added. I think I'm the either 19th or 20th member of the indiana film journalists association um so i'm super excited about it it's just it's it's gonna be it's gonna be cool they seem like a really great group of people and uh i'm hoping that that kind of opens some more doors to for me to kind of hone my film criticism uh like i am starting uh, if you're listening to this at around the time of release, uh, you'll notice that the website has been, I've been posting more of like the written reviews, um, on the website and that's going to be a more frequent thing. Basically what I'm doing is I'm taking my letterbox reviews, punching them up and posting them on the website. So eventually it's going to be a point where the website's going to be the home of all of my written reviews and, uh, my letterbox reviews will be either, uh, uh, cross-posted from obsessive viewer or be snippets from uh the obsessive viewer reviews with links to the reviews um so yeah so super excited about that very very happy uh uh to be included in the indiana film journalists association uh until they kick me out (laughs) (laughs) nice uh so yeah and then tiny you used a list for the first time
1: i did yeah sure how was that experience fantastic
0: nice yeah did you, uh, is it because you saw saw a
1: movie with me? Yeah, totally. That's oh, okay, what, that's why. Yeah, yeah. But no, I genuinely enjoy the AMC app. Like it's very. I think uh I told you, or you told me that um Fekas said it's basically mm. idiot proof. Yeah, <laughs> it is, and it's like mm. you can you can look up a movie and buy the ticket within like, if you know, if you're, if you know where you're going, you can do it in like 30 seconds. Absolutely. Seriously, like, it's that easy. And I was like, oh, dang. Yeah. Um, and I can just like save it to my wallet on my phone and just mm-hmm. pull it right up. It's just, it's, it's very convenient.
0: Nice. Yeah. One thing that I've mentioned before on the podcast, um, I think to Kirsten is that, uh, one thing that I think is pretty, pretty cool is that at least on, um, Android phones, I'm sure iPhone is the same. Um, When you go, when you buy a ticket, um, and it takes you to your ticket screen, um, if you click Add to Calendar, um, at least on my phone, it will open up Google Calendar, my default calendar, and it would add that to my calendar so basically i have a ticket for uh replicas tomorrow oh cool uh, i may not be seeing that tomorrow i don't yeah. know but if i click add to calendar it brings it up and the great thing about it is that the movie starts at five forty. it has the end time of when the movie actually gets out oh, that's cool so it doesn't like it's not like it's taking it from like imdb and calculating like the the time frame it's like from amc like this is the time that this screening ends Interesting. so it takes into account uh trailers and trailers stuff. and stuff wow uh so it's great because like if i'm because like i i mean obviously if you listen to the year and review episode you know that i've seen a lot of movies in theaters mm-hmm. and so like if i'm not particularly into a movie well i don't know if i'd say particularly into a movie but if i feel like my attention waning a little bit or if i feel fidgety um i'll kind of turn my my phone over so that the i don't i don't wake it up but i have like a lock screen on my lock screen i have kind of a dimmed Clock, uh-huh. I can look and be like, okay, well, I remember that on my calendar it says that comes out, it gets out at 750 or 7 whatever. And, uh, yeah, uh, I can be like, okay, well, it's 7 o'clock now. I have 40 minutes left <laughs> until I can get the fuck out of this screen. Screening. Um, so, yeah, so it's great. That's uh, cool. Yeah. Um, oh, I was just gonna, I was all excited because I was like, oh, do you want to see, do you want to see replicas tomorrow? But I know you got plans. Also, it's your birthday. Yeah,
1: yeah, I have yeah. plans, so. That's fine. Uh, the app on the iPhone, it has the option to add it to your, your wallet. Okay. Which is like the app where you like keep your tickets and mm-hmm. stuff like that, so. Nice. But it doesn't have, I wonder, it doesn't have the calendar thing.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Do you anyways. have like, do you use a calendar on your phone? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Oh, anyways. Yeah. Well, anyway, so yeah, that's A-list. That's just. <laughs> That's your, uh, your weekly A list, uh, promotion Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. That they're not paying us for at all. (laughs) Uh, we just really love that product. Um, but Tiny, we are, we're here to talk about the upside, but before we do that, we do have a, I think, really just one big, or a couple news items to go through. First one will be brief. Um, Game of Thrones, Season 8. The final season, uh, has a premiere date. Mm-hmm. Um, it is going to premiere on April 14th. Uh, right in time for taxes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> on HBO. Uh, the last season is going to be six episodes long. And I think I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to show our cards too early, but I think we're going to have a fun little. We, we have a, we are in the planning stages of a pretty fun, um, uh, game of thrones. Uh, what's the word i'm looking for tribute to hmm. for game of thrones to go out on so i think yeah. we're going to be doing we're we're going to be doing something fun for the podcast yeah um that will also be also somewhat beneficial to the patreon subscribers so cool. support us on patreon yeah but that's one piece of news the next piece of news i have is uh the spider-man far from home trailer came out today it did yes and i'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer here now um enjoy i think nick fury just hijacked our summer vacation awesome
2: you got gifts parker but we have a job to do are you going to step up or not alone your friends are in trouble what are you going to do about it you don't want any part of this
0: Okay. So I am so excited for this damn movie. Me too. Um I love the tone that it strikes because it is the antithesis of the uh end game tone. Right. Um and doesn't have it doesn't necessarily have the mystique uh or the mystery of Yeah, I was just about to say that. of uh of like Captain Captain Marvel's trailers and stuff. Like this just seems like it like this is the friendly neighborhood fun spider-man and i can't wait totes uh what was your reaction to the trailer and uh yeah
1: well first of all it's just like a really well-rounded trailer Mm -hmm. like uh some trailers kind of suck like you mentioned game of thrones like any Mm -hmm. teaser we've gotten for that so far is just i haven't been very satisfied with them sure um which that's not a bad thing it's just um not not the best uh but this was super fun and like they give you just the right amount of stuff. There's a cool reveal in it mm-hmm. about a character that's going to be in it, played by a big actor. Yeah, um, that was just fun. I didn't know that he was going to be in this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I hadn't read up on this movie at all. Yeah, um, just for intentionally, I hadn't sure. looked up. I hadn't looked up anything about it. Um, so that was a complete reveal for me. I was like, oh, cool. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, that's it. Was just a fun trailer overall, um, and then the movie just looks. Great! I really loved Homecoming. The 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 kind of Mm -hmm. direction that they're taking with the Tom Holland Spider Man. Yeah, I just gotten. I think the franchise had just gotten stagnant like i don't think anybody really wanted the andrew garfield ones
0: i was gonna say which franchise yeah (laughs) well
1: it's all the same franchise it's just different right different owners and actors and yeah you know um but like i I thought the andrew garfield ones were fine and i i liked them to an extent but Mm -hmm. i didn't need them yeah but this is like it's after Homecoming came out, it's like I want to see more of it now. Like Same it's here. They they so they definitely did their job, mm. and um so for that reason, it it really has me excited. Yeah, uh, so much more than I was even with like the second Andrew Garfield Spider Man. I don't even remember what it was called
0: Amazing Spider Man Two.
1: Was it Amazing? Yes, yeah. I, yeah, so, like, I don't even remember. Like it's yeah. Just, yeah um, and everyone knows my opinion about the Tobey Maguire ones right, so right. I, won't, I won't get into they'll get me started yeah so you yeah you
0: excited. still haven't seen Spider-Verse yet I haven't no yeah.
1: Um. I hope um, it's still in it theaters is. for the next few weeks because uh, yeah. I need I might A-list that and try nice. to see it
0: nice Um. if you do if I have tickets I'll, I'll, I'll go see it again I'll, okay. I'll see it again yeah. okay do you want to go Thursday
1: Uh, I'm working late on Thursday
0: oh that's fine that's yeah. fine that's fine I guess I'll see replicas tomorrow as I plan. (laughs) That's my third ticket for the week. Um, yeah. So I'm so excited for, for Far From Home. Um, there's a moment, like the last moment of the trailer where I just, I, it got a very hearty chuckle out of me. It's where Flash is, uh, Talking about how much he loves Spider-Man. Yeah. And then he looks over at Peter and is like, sup, dickwad. Yeah. <laughs> and then just like, I don't know, just the, the way that Tom Holland like flips him off and smiles at him or, uh, or th- gives him a thumbs up. That's what he does. He yeah. Gives him a thumbs up and smiles at him. I'm like, that is like, that in, that right there encapsulates what I love so much about the tone of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> um, yeah, just, ah, oh, I'm so pumped. Uh, that comes out July 5th, I think. Um,
1: uh, yeah, July 5th.
0: Yep, July 5th. Um, speaking of Tom Holland also, I, I do have a third news item that I just remembered. Um, this is this is exciting, tentatively. So, did you hear that um, the Uncharted movie has a new director?
1: I did not hear about that, Snow.
0: Okay. So... Uncharted, very famous, uh, video game series from PlayStation, Mm -hmm. uh, from Naughty Dog Studios, very cinematic, uh, Nathan Drake, kind of Indiana Jones esque, National Treasure esque, kind of, kind of adventure story. Mm -hmm. Um, it has been a property that it has been talked about as being adapted into film for years and right. years and years.
1: It's kind of begging for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. And it's gone through several different iterations, like, or pre-production phases, I guess you would say. Um, at one point, Mark Wahlberg was going to star as Nathan Drake. Oh, yeah. In a movie directed by, oh, I forget who was attached to direct it. Um, yeah, it was it, someone that did, didn't really fit. Oh, well for my sensibilities um and i think most recently sean levi was supposed to direct it hmm. um who he is i think that he's i don't know what else he's directed but he is a producer on stranger things oh, okay um but tom holland has been attached to star in it and it's gonna be like a younger nathan drake story interesting yeah um uh, but sean levy is not gonna be directing it instead and this i'll just say it uh dan trachtenberg from 10 Cloverfield Lane, oh. uh, playtest episode of Black Mirror. Um, he is now on board to direct Uncharted. Nice. Which this, I honestly can't think of a single filmmaker who would be a better fit than Dan Trachtenberg for this particular <laughs> project. Cool. Um, and it's, it's, it's so like, Kind of beautiful in a, in a way, because he Dan Trachtenberg. For those for those who don't know, he his uh his background is that he did he was the host of the, the Totally Rad Show with Jeff Canada and uh, Alex Albright. Uh, they basically did video game reviews and pop culture reviews, stuff like that. So, um. He, there is a <laughs> there is a clip from that show from like a long 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 time ago um that uh that uh, that is so poetically beautiful i'm going to go ahead and play a clip from it here or play the actual clip here so uh here is uh, the clip that i'm struggling to bring up now this is this clip is from december t- 2007 <laughs> Uh, this is from, um, the totally rad show. They're talking about, I believe it's the first Uncharted video game. What do you think, Dan? What do you think of Uncharted? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so this was my most anticipated game right. of the year. Yeah, uh, you were talking about trying to get the rights yes. to yeah, make it. I I went to, I want, Persia, I, I love, know. in terms of the games, I love that. And, and, and in terms of genre of movies, I, I wish I could make this movie. I wish. I think this is as good as as many movies. I agree. Yeah, that's Dan Trachtenberg in two thousand seven saying, "I wish I could make this movie." Awesome <laughs> about Uncharted. And now that I think about, it, I think Uncharted. I think they were reviewing probably Uncharted three or Uncharted two. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just I I love that. That is so that's that's so great. Um, and like uh, from from the from all of the development hell that the Uncharted movie has, the potential Uncharted movie has been going through the whole time I'm thinking like, okay, this is never gonna get made. This is never gonna get made. Maybe that's for the best. Um, this is never gonna get made because video game movies suck anyway. But like, this is the first time where I'm like, I want this to get made so bad now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's just, I'm, I'm so excited about it. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the news for the week. And so we are going to go ahead, and review the upside, which was Tiny's first A-list movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and read a. I'm going to go ahead and have Tiny read a plot description description while I hiccup up into the microphone, courtesy of IMDb.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the synopsis says a comedic look at the relationship between a wealthy man with quadriplegia and an unemployed man with a criminal record who's hired to help him.
0: Yes, and this movie stars Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston and Nicole Kidman in an incredibly thankless role. <laughs> uh, Tate Donovan also makes an appearance as well, um, directed by Neil Berger, who he did something. Oh, he directed The Illusionist. Huh. Um, I think one of the Divergent movies? Oh, okay. Oh, he directed Divergent. Gotcha. Also Limitless, The Lucky Ones. Um... Yeah. So anyway, um we'll go into our review. We'll separate it by spoiler and non-spoiler. Tiny – oh, it's worth mentioning that, A, this is a – this movie is based on a 2011 French film called The Untouchables, which I've heard really good things about. Really? Yeah. And I guess it's based on a true story on on that end. Oh, okay. Um, And, like, it's funny because, like, it, look up The Untouchables – uh, in touchables, um, I'd seen the cover art on Netflix and like around the streaming services, oddly enough, now it's not available to stream anywhere, but I don't know what it is, but like something about, cause I had no context of what, what it was, but like the cover art made me think like it's a football movie. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so it's based on that. Um, this movie, the upside was. Um, wide released, I think like January 11th, like last Friday, mm-hmm. um, as of this recording. However, it was, it did premiere in, uh, TIFF in 2017 and then did the festival circuit. I judging from IMDb, it did like a, a light festival circuit throughout, uh, 2017, 2018. And then now it's finally getting a wide release. Um, it has the trappings of being a movie that was being positioned for a, an Oscar push. Um, but kind of fell through the cracks and that's kind of being dumped in January. Yeah. Um, tiny. Mm-hmm. Before we get into our non-spoiler review, what were your expectations for the movie? Uh, how did you feel going into it? Were you excited about it? Were you, how did you feel?
1: I was excited about it. And, and my, my main, Focus for this movie was going to be on Kevin Hart, mm-hmm. um, who I've talked about and on, on the podcast, um, and I, I was mostly interested in him because this seems like a role I haven't seen him in yet, and I appreciate his stand up, but I'm not real big on him as an actor. I don't, I, I don't, don't care for him a lot. I don't hate him or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I saw the trailer for this, and I was like, all right, I think I might really like Kevin Hart in this mm-hmm. movie. So that was my main focus: is to see how he how he performed in this. Cause he's such a big deal right now. Um, yeah. Uh, and understandably. So I, I get it. Um, have you been following the controversy at all? No. And other than what we've discussed on here. Yeah. Not really. Hmm. So
0: like, and I, I kind of have an either and <laughs> poor podcasting on our part, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, to kind of refresh, he was uh, offered the role of the host of the Oscars and then, Homophobic tweets were resurfaced or uncovered. Um, and he was unapologetic about it, or he, he was saying like he's grown, but he's not going to apologize for his past, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, he kind of seemed kind of stubborn about it. <laughs> um, and then he was either removed or backed out from, from hosting the Oscars. And then there was something about him going on to Ellen and like he, I, I don't know what it was. I'm, this is poor podcasting, but, um, I don't know. I'm back and forth on it. Um, cause it's well documented that I, I personally think that, you know, well, I don't know. It's tough. It's really, really tough. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough because like he is, he does have a platform where if he apologizes for it, I guess he's apologizing now (laughs) now that he has a movie opening, but, um, it's just like, he has a platform to, you know, explain like why it's, bad to be homophobic and stuff. Yeah. And he chose not to use that platform for anything other than saying that he's not going to apologize for, you know, his past. Right. Which I get where he's coming from, but also, yeah. Also, slight, slight, slight tangent, but, uh, uh, John Lasseter, um, former big wig over at Pixar, um, he was fired from Pixar. He, he quit because, uh, Sir, it was surfaced that like there were a lot of accusations of being, him being, uh, inappropriate toward, uh, female employees and yeah. sexually harassing them and stuff, which is a bummer because I love Pixar. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not shunning Pixar because of it or anything, but it's just a bummer that, you know, we talked about, I talked about it with Fekas a year or so ago, but anyway, he was recently named or he, he is now like in a, in a powerful position within, Oh man, I can't remember the production company. Um Okay. He's now kind of over at uh Skydance Animation. Um okay. Yeah, and this like recently came about. He uh and it's getting a lot of flack online. Um just him being him being there. Um one headline that I see is Paramount Animation will will reportedly not collaborate with Skydance because of John Lasseter's hiring. Jeez. Yeah. But the thing that I kind of want to – the tangent that I want to go on here, and then I promise we'll get to our upside review, um, is that I was reading up on this and about kind of like the backlash of him being hired there and and how um, – I guess he did like a, a town hall kind of meeting for the employees, I guess. Um, I'll put links to all this in the show notes, but one article that I saw was that um, he – okay, first of all, I – I believe that people can be, you know, remorseful for their past behavior and grow from that, and they can they can be rehabilitated in, in a sense, right? To where that they they can uh, people have the capacity to recognize past behavior being negative and, and harmful, and then uh, making adjustments so that they don't behave that way. That is that is something that's possible with people in general. Like the the amount of people that have the capability to grow that way. <laughs> That's questionable because there are a lot of just terrible, despicable people who will just, you know, instead of, uh, instead of doing literally anything else, will record a video of them talking in character about how much you love them despite what, what heinous shit that he's done. (laughs) I'm talking about Kevin Spacey. And anyway. (laughs) So the thing that I wanted to bring up is that Disney, like in the John Lasseter, like, oeuvre of, allegations like there have been tons of allegations um levied at him or not even allegations just reports of like his behavior like oh he would he would rub uh women like female employees like legs inappropriately and try to like slide his hand up their skirts and stuff jesus um he would have um he would have people tell young attractive employees animators what have you that they that they're not allowed in a meeting with him because he's too he would get too distracted and stare at them jeez um at functions disney (laughs) hired or had uh buffers like people like handlers for him so that he would not act inappropriately wow yes yes And I say all of this because in Beating a Dead Horse, it's in the past and everything, but still, it's like the, uh, I guess, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe I'm not making the right point, but like the fact that Disney can knowingly like do that, like protect someone in power, like at Pixar like that, that is doing just shitty things, terrible things, yet they'll fire James Gunn. yeah because really. tweets that had nothing to like were clearly jokes and had nothing to do with the disney brand. well <laughs> their subjects of them were disney they were written before like not on disney's payroll yeah it's just like there's just this weird disconnect there in my brain like i don't know i'm still bitter about james gunn getting fired i mean it's in the past me too like, yeah. yeah but it's like it's just it's weird to me that they can be like well okay You know, these, uh, uh, someone on the opposite side of the political spectrum dug up these tweets, James Gunn, you're fired from this project that you have brought in billions of dollars for and everything. Meanwhile, Hey, we, we, you know, we've got to get these, these guys over here, uh, to make sure that John Lasseter doesn't grow up any women. (laughs) Like it's just, it's, it's a weird disconnect. Yeah.
1: Very hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But anyway, I didn't mean to go on such a tangent. I hadn't heard that about John Laster. That's disturbing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like and an I Oscar guess, winner. Yeah. And I, I guess he would, um, like very inappropriately hug women and like kiss them. Like, mm. in a, I, from what I understand, it's like a kind of a greeting, like, you know, how I, <laughs> I don't know anyone that's done this in real life, but like, <laughs> Like how in movies, like like you know, someone will hug another person, like kiss their cheek or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he would take that, but do it like a little bit farther and kiss them on the lips and like slip them, slip them the tongue, I guess. Okay, yeah, that's
1: just that's assault. S- yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, and then there was something else that that I read that he that he would do. Um. Oh, oh, not that he would do, but like, apparently, like this was a. I mean, obviously, it was a widespread enough thing. Where, like, they had to fucking bring in handlers so that he wouldn't, Yeah. that he would behave appropriately. But also, like, uh, colloquially, there was, like, around, like, uh, women that were under his employ, like, a common expression that, uh, like, they would have to do, like, a maneuver, like, they would have to lasseter, like, they, like, they made his name into the name of, like, a maneuver or a way to, like, no, don't get lassetered. Um, and it's just like it's uh, it's yeah it is it yeah yeah so now he's at skydance i don't (laughs) know how long but um but yeah it's just yeah
1: it's a shame we can't go a week without news like this
0: well this has been this has been like public for a while right but yeah yeah but it is it i mean the silver lining is that it's being reported. It's, it's out there. Yeah, that's true. People know this and everything. It's
1: disheartening, Uh, but it has to happen kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yep. Um, but let's look on the upside of things (laughs) and review, uh, the upside. Uh, of course, we're going to go into a non-spoiler review and then go into a spoiler. Tiny, you said that you were excited for it. I was a little, I was more excited at the idea of, of you using A-list for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that, not that I wasn't excited for it. Like the trailers, I've seen it on, like a bunch of times at this point. And I was just kind of like, okay, it looks like it has potential to be okay. It's a little, looks a little schmaltzy, but. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it could be kind of, kind of fun. Um. And I saw some kind of mixed to negative reviews on like Letterboxd, and I was like, you know, this doesn't seem like a Fantastic Four situation or anything. It doesn't seem like it's a complete, unmitigated disaster. It just seems like it's a middle-of-the-road kind of movie that some people like and some people don't. So I was like, okay, we'll see how it is. So having said that, Tiny... Overall thoughts, broad thoughts, what did you think of the upside? Uh, overall pretty, pretty positive. Nice.
1: Um, I think, I think the linchpin of the, the quality of the film is the chemistry and relationship between Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, mm-hmm. uh, Dell and Philip. Um, it, it, that, that is what the entire movie hinges on. And I think even if you have, um, you know, a story that's kind of generic or kind of, uh, Sappy, or just a little, a little too conveniently positive, mm. something like that, um, or any other criticisms that you can make about the story. Um, I think if you have that chemistry between the two, these two leads, the two main characters, it can, it, it can really ease those other issues of the film. I think, mm. I think, it can, I think it can carry the movie in my book. Yeah. And for me, their chemistry was fantastic, mm. and their performances together uh were fantastic i love the comedy it worked for me and it completely carried the movie for me like i have mm-hmm. a very positive opinion of the film nice. um just because of that frankly i, th- I think kevin hart and brian cranson work super well together mm-hmm. um but i think the movie has a handful or maybe even quite a few shortcomings mm-hmm. um i think um i got some flashes of uh, how you described the movie Green Book earlier. Oh, yes. And that's, it's, you know, how it's kind of a, a feel good, kind of a feel good movie. And this is mm. kind of the same thing. Um, uh, and all, that, that same comparison was, uh, was made in a slash film article that you shared with me. Yeah, um, did you read that by the way? I did read it. Nice. That. Yeah, uh, it was really, really, really good. Very well written. It f- frames frames everything really well.
0: Yeah. For context, the article was written by a disabled writer who uh, was upset that. Well, uh, his position was more that uh, he was upset with the way there was, the movie there was, good was and bad presented. Yeah. And, yeah. A very very well done article. I'll link to it in the show notes. Definitely um, definitely worth a read if you're going to see the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I appreciate what he said about it, but yeah, I I saw it's, I, I can understand some of the issues with it, how it's very, you know, it kind of, uh, takes a, Semi shitty situation and kind of shines it up and makes it pretty for a, mm-hmm. for a, a feel good movie. You know what I'm saying? It, it, uh, it hides a lot of the realities of what it's like to be a quadriplegic. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a little bit unrealistic in that respect in the pursuit of a happy feel good film. So right. I cannot, uh, I totally understand those criticisms. I don't even disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I picked up on them in the film. But like I said, all of that for me was, for the most part overshadowed by the really good chemistry mm. and, and the, the comedy just worked. I laughed a lot nice. um, and it was from both Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston and mm. some of the other, some of the other performances. I, uh, I thought, I, I really thought that was kind of great. Um, but the movie overall I thought was a good, enjoyable movie. I was able to kind of set aside or, or overlook some of the issues uh, because of the other quality of the film.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do want to point out real quick. Um, there was one, like, I think it was a woman, uh, in the row that we were sitting in who was like loving the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she was very much, in it. like, uh, like more power to her, but I'm like, like, <laughs> as jaded as I am, I'm like, I've seen that, that line is in the trailer. Like, I've seen yeah. this trailer like 50 times.
1: Right. I think, uh, that symptom or whatever, or that, Reaction Mm -hmm. is that Kevin Hart is like huge. He's like one of the biggest comedy actors in the world right now. Mm. And so people are like, that's Kevin Hart. He's hilarious. I know he's hilarious. So anytime he says anything remotely funny, you just laugh. It's like, it's like an involuntary reaction. And Mm. like, that's how. People were with Will Ferrell, I think, for a while, where some of the oh, movies yeah. he made were just kind of, eh, but like we were, we thought they were better than they were, or like, it's Will Ferrell, so I'm laughing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that, and I feel like <laughs> that's kind of my issue when, mm-hmm. when, these actors get so big yeah. in a particular genre. It's like, well, I have to yeah. like it. or And
0: we've talked about that before, how it's more about their brand than their yes. content.
1: Melissa McCarthy was huge, yes. huge. And it was like, she's kind of playing the same character. And like, mm-hmm. you could make the same argument about Will Ferrell in the early to mid-2000s or yeah. Kevin Hart right now, Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy three, four years ago. It's kind of a pattern. And it's like, I think they kind of find their way out of it. And yeah. I think hopefully... I think this is the beginning of that for Kevin Hart because mm-hmm. I think he demonstrated in this movie. He has some pretty good acting chops and he can yeah. do some dramatic flares and stuff sure. like that. I, yeah.
0: Yeah. um Also just real quick, that reminds me of the family guy bit where uh, Peter's in the theater watching Philadelphia and he's <laughs> like, Oh, that's Tom Hanks. He's the guy from big, very funny. Yeah. And then shows him saying like, I have AIDS and he's like, <laughs> um, yeah so dumb but anyway um you know it's it's interesting i am not as favor- favorable on the movie as you are okay um i will echo your sentiments about the uh chemistry between hart and cranston uh they're just i mean they're they work really well together and i feel like they elevated what was maybe not the best script um yeah yeah to a level where it was where it was more enjoyable than it really kind of had any right to be um for for me and my personal tastes um I felt like the movie was hampered quite a bit because it felt like i have I have no I have no um uh way of corroborating this or i have n- I have no context for this but from my personal taste it felt like the movie suffered from a lot of editing like in post. So the, the plot line and the the storyline and everything and the different plot threads felt very cobbled together for me. Um, for example, like the movie starts like right off the bat, uh, Brian Cranston is telling Nicole Kidman, like we need to make sure my DNR is, is signed. And, and you know, if you, so if I, if I stop breathing, you know, Don't resuscitate me. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear, like, okay, he, he wants to die. He doesn't want to live anymore. And that's a compelling, that's a compelling, um, character trait or character introduction. Um, and we get scenes where he is having dreams about his, his dead wife and of the accident that led to him being a quadriplegic. And like, all of that is very compelling in the first 15 minutes or it's, Maybe not very compelling, but it's compelling enough to make me think like, okay, this can go into some really interesting, dramatic, um, avenues and everything. But as soon as Kevin Hart is, you know, his, his caregiver, um, that's just completely taken away. <laughs> like, right. suddenly, like, it's not a spoiler because the the movie shifts to a different storyline essentially like he's not thinking about the accident he's not thinking about his wife per se uh there's this introduction of this subplot involving a pen pal that comes out of nowhere to me mm-hmm. and then like that carries through for most of the movie and then the movie kind of tries to tie itself together in a way that didn't feel very genuine to me because it felt like they were just kind of going through the, the beats and like, they have like characters, um, uh, come into play in different contexts that didn't really fit well with me as far as like, it didn't give me any, um, any, uh, closure for the, for the movie. Cause it just felt kind of cobbled together. And well, I'll talk more in more detail and spoilers, but it just felt like it felt like a movie that was kind of pieced together and, uh, Maybe focus grouped uh, quite a bit.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I guess yeah. I, I didn't pick up on that as much when I was watching it, but now that you say it, I, I definitely think you're right.
0: And what's interesting is the movie does this kind of trick because, like, I remember when we were walking out of the theater, um, like you you were you were saying that you you enjoyed it, and I was like, yeah, I I think I did too, or I thought it was okay. And then, like, I remember saying, like, I don't know why i didn't really like it that much <laughs> like yeah. i couldn't put my like it was it was fine like it was in like those few minutes after the movie like it was uh my my feelings on it were you know just kind of kind of meh but yeah. it was i was i thought it was a competently made movie with good chemistry from the from the lead actors mm-hmm. but then as i started to think about it more it just felt like narrative the narrative the narrative structure was just not to my liking.
1: Yeah, to follow that thread, I do think they they skipped over or they missed out on the potential for a lot of really compelling drama mm-hmm. um, in favor of comedy. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of a matter of taste, I guess, but I think the better film would have been in pursuing more of the dramatic influences in the movie Mm -hmm. um like you said uh nicole kidman was a very thankless character yeah um that there was a lot of potential there between brian cranston and her and kevin hart and her for a -hmm. lot of dramatic moments and those were kind of shelved or kind of not not capitalized upon and i think there there was a lot of good story there that didn't get didn't get told absolutely um and that's again that's a balance like it kind of it made me think of the movie Rain Over Me. Okay, sure. Uh, written and directed by Michael Binder, uh, Mike mm-hmm. Binder, um, which I really love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some hilarious moments in that movie, but they're basically the hilarious moments, and the funny parts are bookends to some extreme drama. Yeah, and like that that script for Rain Over Me and the story is mountains better than what they did with this mm-hmm. like with the uh, the upside the upside had the potential to be that kind of emotional roller coaster up down like you literally have a tear in your eye and then you cr- and the- you have a tear in your eye and then you laugh yeah like that that's this story i think could have the potential for that but they, they in that respect they missed the mark yeah so i thinking about it more i think i think you're right and those mm-hmm. those are kind of some semi-glaring issues with with this movie.
0: Yeah, and uh, like I said, we'll, we'll have to expand more on it and spoilers because there, there are some uh, nits that I want to pick with it. But okay. uh, you bringing a brain over me reminds me that um, th- uh, a much better-made movie, <laughs> and for lack of a better word, that kind of uh, deals with caregiving and everything, in a much more interesting way is uh the fundamentals of caring uh Paul Rudd and oh, I can't remember the guy the kid's name um he was in Red Oaks on Amazon but he's um i think he's British but anyway he plays a uh teenager with i think it's like cerebral palsy or, or muscular dystrophy okay and he's wheelchair bound and Paul Rudd plays a guy who was hired as his caregiver and he goes on a uh, he takes him on a, I don't know if it's cross country or a, an extended road trip. And it's like, it is that, it is what the upside could have been. Hmm, okay. um, it's compelling. It's, it's very, it's funny where, where like you'll laugh one minute and kind of be tearing up in the next minute and performances are, are fantastic. And uh, yeah, uh, I would really recommend seeing The Fundamentals of Caring.
1: Okay. Um, a little Miss Sunshine
0: yeah oh yeah balance
1: balance those two genres mm-hmm. if you will really well yeah maybe i just kind of thought of that i don't know
0: sure um but the upside did i don't know like and there were leaps that it made for the characters again we'll talk more in spoilers i'm dancing around it a little bit but like there is okay there there. perfect example there is a subplot involving a book that's all that's all i'll say about it um that looks like it could lead to a manufactured kind of dramatic uh, run of events. Um, but if like, if it was handled better, it could have been, you know, it could have been a more compelling kind of dramatic thing. So there's like this tension throughout the movie. And then when that storyline is paid off, it's, it's just kind of just thrown away. (laughs) Like there's, there's no like consequence or no payoff to the dramatic tension of that, of that subplot that is kind of running the running undercurrent of Kevin Hart's character and Brian Cranston's character's blossoming, blossoming friendship. Um, like when it, I mean, it just, it didn't have a payoff that I found acceptable. I actually disagree on that. Really? Yeah. We'll have to talk more in spoilers, but that's interesting.
1: I think the payoff was a bit more between him and his son than it was between, between him and Brian Cranston. Yeah, that's, I think that was the direction that story, that, Plot line needed to go.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Which we can talk about more. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. In Expand spoilers. on it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Is well, what else can we say in non-spoilers? I feel um, like this is kind of brief, but that's fine. yeah, it is. Well, that's non-spoilers, so. Yeah.
1: Um. I don't know what yeah. else can be said about it.
0: <laughs> I will uh, say this. Um, I was. I. I was. Uh. I, I left the theater and I as I kind of ruminated on the movie I was really um I wouldn't say disappointed but I I would have liked a lot more um to their relationship to Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston's characters their relationship and their growth I would have liked to have seen more of Kevin Hart learning how to be a caregiver um yeah. because like we get the scene that's in the trailer where he's like he's strapping him into the chair and then He's like – like he forgets to strap him in and he starts to lean over. Um, And there are certain things that are – that should be dramatic, like should be – I hate to compare the movie to another movie, but like the fundamentals of caring. Um, That kind of opened my eyes a little bit to like, holy crap, this whole idea of like uh, being a caregiver for someone – like, I think this says more about me than anything. But like, the fact that someone, someone is uh, dependent on you to live, yeah, um, is just like I don't understand how people can do that because I'm um, a monster who only who only thinks of himself. <laughs> but
1: um takes a special kind of person. to Yeah, do that. it's it's like yeah. a
0: stress. There's stress to that. And I wish that the upside would have would have factored that into its storytelling because I didn't feel like there was much, if any, tension to Kevin Hart learning learning the ways of being a caregiver. Uh, granted, that's not really the story that's being told in the movie, but I feel like that's pretty integral to the relationship uh, of the two characters in the movie because. I mean, he, like, he literally walks in off the street and he gets hired for this job, which we'll talk about that in spoilers because I also have another thing about that and <laughs> nit to pick about that. But, um, he literally knows nothing about this job. He's unqualified. And we get like maybe two scenes of him doing the job. And then suddenly it's like, okay, well, we're like best friends now. Oh, hey, you have a pen, you have a pen pal. Let's, let's go down that road. Right. Um, it just, it just felt like, I don't know. It, it felt like there was a disconnect there. That I feel like the movie. It was a huge missed opportunity for the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um. Let's see. And yeah. So it's a 2019 release. Technically, is it? Is it your movie of the year? <laughs> no. <laughs> um. I don't. It's not. Gonna, I meant I don't, that as in like because it's the only 2019. Oh yeah, movie. it's only 2019. Yeah. <laughs> I um, made that joke to to Mike on our bonus <sighs> episode, hilarious. Anyway.
1: I know. Um. But no, I uh. I don't, it, it won't be an honorable mention. I can't see it being an honorable mention Maybe. even. So, um, even though I did, I did enjoy it, uh, didn't have enough there. Do you think you'll ever see it again? Um, I might watch it with, with Paige. hmm. Possibly. Do you like, think she'll uh, like it? I think she will, yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. So. Cool. How about you? Number one movie of the year so far?
0: Um, it is slightly below Escape Room. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just – I had a lot of problems with it that we'll get into here in a moment. But gotcha. overall, I thought that it was what you would – it's a kind of schmaltzy, um, dramatic comedy that kind of plays it a little bit safe um, when it comes to the drama of the movie. Gotcha. And the biggest kind of critique I have on it is that it just – it really, really felt cobbled together. It felt like – There wasn't, there were leaps in the story that did not connect with me in any significant way. And we'll talk about more about that. Uh, But let's go into spoilers and let's talk about that. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to go into spoilers for the upside. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. And uh, yeah, uh, then we'll go into spoilers. So enjoy this clip from the trailer for the upside. You need to prove you're looking for work. Yeah, I've been looking, trust me Three signatures by tomorrow, or you can tell it to the judge Tell me about a time when you worked hard to solve a problem
2: It's morning, getting up We're gonna find you someone you like Let me be your arms and your legs I love that You're- All right Penthouse You need to wait your turn
0: Relax, it's not a hold up Just sign this one, please How would I sign it? I don't know, slowly what, don't your arms work? They don't. You can move your mouth. As can you. I need assistance. How much does it pay? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. It's my bad, my bad, man. You are not
2: qualified for this position. Oh. Buckle, buckle. Have you ever changed a catheter? No. Nah. Pinch the head, insert. Mm.
0: I can't feel it. Oh. Well, I can. <laughs> you want to feed your soul? Then listen to its clean. Cool. Think 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 about what you're trying to do to me it's amazing It sounds just like it. yeah it's uncanny okay and we are spoilers on for the upside <laughs> um let's start off with the ending uh, that's probably not the best way but uh, no 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 let's backtrack let's talk let's start at the beginning so the whole post-traumatic stress grieving widow angle of brian cranston's character i felt like that was dumped entirely uh, after the first act of the movie um, within the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie um, it, because we get like him having visions of his wife and him having visions and dreams of the accident like we get a POV shot of him paragliding and it's it's the accident um add to that the fact that he wants, he doesn't want to be resuscitated if he, if he, uh, if he, if he stops breathing and it's hinted at this. And then this is where I feel like the movie doesn't know what type of movie it wants to be, or it was edited out of being the type of movie that it was originally intended to be. Because the first couple of scenes with Kevin Hart and Bryan Cranston, uh, Kevin Hart's like, why did you hire me? And there's one point where he's like, Oh, you hired me because you, you want me, you, you want me to honor the do not resuscitate, you know, that I, that I'll let you, you know, I won't resuscitate you or anything. Um, And then Brian Cranston just kind of leaves the room and doesn't say anything. And like in that moment, I was like, Oh, that's kind of deep. Like, Holy shit. This is, this is like, this is going to be an interesting movie where he is dealing with the grief of losing his wife and losing his mobility and he's kind of, he's going to come to terms with it through this quirky relationship with it, with his caregiver. Um, and it's going to be interesting, but there's nothing to that. Like there's, there's nothing to his, like his, his revitalized life. It's just because it's, (laughs) it's like, Oh, he met Kevin Hart. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Um, and it just, it felt just very, it just did not connect with me and felt very, uh, um, lackluster for me. Did you get any of that? How did you feel about?
1: Um, Del? I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I think you might, you might be right there, but I think the only friction I'll give you on that is I, I genuinely think that through his new relationship with Dell, Kevin Hart's character, I think mm-hmm. it, it's giving him a new lease on life or like a new, a new look at his past experiences and he's not dwelling on them as much. I think he's like, I think through, through Dell, he's kind of genuinely starting to enjoy his life a little bit more,
0: and I'll agree with you totally. Yeah, and and that
1: it's still a missed opportunity, like yeah. you said, for for quality drama,
0: right? And then yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, honestly, I if that were just it, I would kind of just chalk that up to my personal taste, mm-hmm. but. I, I, like, I agree that that's, that's there, that he does get this new lease on life. He, he's, it livens him up to have, to have a friend in, in Kevin Hart. Um, but the pen pal thing, Mm. uh, that kind of grated on my nerves a little bit because, again, we had, like, he's grieving his wife. Like, he's, he's missing his wife. Um, the, like, the sentimental value of the books, Um, that Dell stole one from like, that is, that is like, that's the reason why Dell wants to get the book back because he knows it holds such a significant sentimental value to, uh, to Philip. But then suddenly, like, it's, it's like night and day two completely different movies because suddenly it's like, Oh, Nicole Kidman has this envelope from, from his pen pal. It's like, Oh, he's, he's, he doesn't answer these anymore. And then suddenly it's like, Oh wait, now he wants to answer him. Now he's, now he's writing back. So it's like, so at one point he's, he's grieving the loss of his wife, like so much so that he wants to die and he doesn't want to be resuscitated or anything. But then also at the same time he has had in the recent past, a, a deep enough connection to someone that he's just writing, which they don't really talk about how they found how each they other. How they found or each anything. other? Yeah, that's like weird. It's, it's literally like it feels like it's just put in there and in, in it's cut for time or something. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, it.
1: I agree on that.
0: Yeah, and uh, and then that is a significant plot point in the entire movie, and not to not to say that it's all bad because the actual date scene I thought was one of the more compelling moments of the entire movie definitely yeah which we'll get to that in a moment but just the introduction of it just felt really sloppy because like there is nothing else about his wife in the movie after after that point yeah um and then also it just bugged me and this is this is maybe more of a personal um uh issue i guess but I feel like the, and it's jumping around a little bit, but the ending where Kevin Hart takes him paragliding, I felt like that was, uh, it wasn't earned, like at all. Because again, like it feels like the first 15 minutes of this movie are a completely different movie because he's having flashes in his dreams of the accident that, that paralyzed him and he's grieving his wife and everything. So, like, the thing that rectifies their entire relationship and makes him happy is that Kevin Hart's, like, taking him to relive that, <laughs> that accident. Like, there's nothing that's, like, like, I would have taken something that had, like, like, uh, Philip saying something to the effect of, like, I'm, uh, like, paragliding was my, my, the most fun I've ever had in my life. And this was, like, now it's not, you know, I wish I could do it again. Like, like something, but, like, it just seemed, I don't know. It, it seems like, Uh, this is maybe a sloppy comparison, but it's like um, your life was changed because you, you got shot. Um, We're going to have hardships in our friendship, but I'm going to rectify it by taking you to the gun range. Um, (laughs) It just feels like really bizarre and it didn't fit for me at all. It felt like again, and I keep going back to this. It felt like it was cobbled together in the editing room that they needed an uplifting ending uplifting no pun intended <laughs> um and they just decided to just tack that on it just it felt just so oh uh, it did it did not work for me um yeah yeah what what did you think of all the stuff that i've been throwing at the wall here <laughs> I,
1: well i think you're right about the ending i think it was just mm-hmm. kind of a generic thing yeah that they like i could sit here and make an argument it's like well kevin hart wanted to uh yeah. And yeah. afterwards he like he uh he called in Yvonne, and so he met Yvonne. Mm-hmm. so he was reassociating his character with something positive associated sure. to, to paragliding i don't think that was the no. the influence for that storytelling choice right i think you're right they just wanted to have something inspiring and positive at the yeah. end of the movie um but uh the the book thing i wanted to come back to yeah
0: let's let's what, go back to that. what was the sentimental value of the book um basically those the books that are on the shelf there are all uh i believe that philip said that they were first editions but it was um every year either for his birthday or their anniversary his wife would get him a new one like a new okay. first edition i thought he was talking
1: about the paintings
0: no, I thought it was the books. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Well, I missed that part. Okay. Cause, okay. like, during that, I was like, oh, it, like, that's why I felt, um, I felt like the book and the discovery of, of him having stolen the book is a ticking time bomb for the dramatic tension of the, of the friendship because, you know, they're becoming, like, they're close and they're, they're becoming good friends and everything. And then suddenly, like, <laughs> you would expect just in general narrative, like uh ideas then like uh he stole a book he becomes friends with the owner of the book owner of the book finds out that he stole the book owner of the book uh did like is angry at at him so he has to redeem himself in in the owner's eyes instead what the movie does is he stole the book owner doesn't know he stole the book owner becomes friends with him uh the his, his son gives him the book and then it's like it's literally like, uh, it's all right. People people change. It's fine. It's just like there. There's no dramatic payoff to okay. him having stolen the book.
1: See, I didn't realize there yeah. was. I missed the part about the significance of the book. Okay, that's why I didn't feel that because I thought because throughout the movie, it's kind of demonstrated how Brian C- Cranston's character isn't doesn't necessarily value material things, or he's not like. Like he talk, he kind of just dismisses his really awesome car collection that he sure. has, um, and like he he has this artwork around where there's this scene where they they mm-hmm. smash all this stuff, and yeah. um, so I, I think it's kind of a something they reinforce. He's not real; he doesn't like take him on a tour of his apartment to show off all this shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. He's he's a super rich person, and like he just gives charities ten grand because he yeah. just doesn't. You know, he's not a very Consumer or uh, material driven person, it seems like seems like he has all this stuff just because he's supposed to or he can, Mm -hmm. and so that's what I was thinking about the book. Is he doesn't he didn't really care about him taking the book because he doesn't necessarily put a ton of value on material things. But with that revelation, I I have to agree with you because I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, it just it just it it bugged me quite a bit. But
1: I do think there was payoff between the conflict Mm -hmm. between him and his son with that storyline.
0: I'll agree with you there. Also, also, and it's it's not my place to make this uh comparison or the or this this thing, but it just felt like. First of all, I'm living in a post Green Book world. <laughs> uh, and I, let me rephrase that. I'm living in a post Green Book winning best screenplay at yeah. the Golden Globes world. Like, I've been thinking so much about Green Book. And how it, like, ah, uh, what was the, like, I thought today, and I was gonna tweet this, but I felt like it's not relevant enough, cause, you know, maybe when it gets, if it, if it sweeps at the Oscars or whatever, then I'll, I'll go on my soapbox online and everything. But, like, Green Book feels like the type of movie that your racist aunt, not like your specific racist aunt, like right. a person's racist aunt would watch to feel good about themselves or or watch to feel uh happy about the state of like race relations and stuff while at the same time talking about how we need to build a wall and keep immigrants out and right. and you know uh cross the street when an african-american is walking down the sidewalk next to them yeah something like that um yeah it's just that type of movie but anyway um i was gonna connect that to the upside i don't remember how <laughs> um Oh man, I, I had it. Um, uh, the type of movie this is that, the book. Oh, oh, okay. That's what I, that's how I was going to connect it. Because it feels like Dell's character, his arc through the movie, it felt like, uh, like there's a point in the trailer and, and in the, in the birthday party scene where he's like, uh, where Del is like, um, uh, I'm sorry you have to have a uh, party with all your friends in your, in your giant mansion. Some of us have real problems. I'm trying to find my, I'm trying to see my son again. And like, I get that, but also it, it kind of bugs me because it's like, okay, well, people have different, like, different personal issues. Like, everyone's fighting their own battle and stuff. Like, this everybody thing. has problems. <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, the ending kind of message in the movie to me kind of felt a little like, i don't know it and again this is not my place to make this comparison but on the out, like from from my perspective it kind of felt like it was a like well everything will be okay if as long as uh like if you work for the right rich white man yeah. <laughs> who will give you enough money to uh to you know buy your family you know uh a house and 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 right. everything. Also, the whole—I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm rambling and jumping. The painting around thing. Everything. No, the painting thing. I actually really liked. Okay, I thought that was funny. That was yeah. great. um For context, if you're listening to this without watching it, um uh the painting. <laughs> Dell makes a painting that's uh, objectively pretty terrible and amateurish. That's a joke. It's basically. a joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's uh, Tate Donovan's character. Who is not in the movie en- enough. I feel like he was... That's, again, I kind of feel like he was edited out of the movie almost. Because mm. we get the introductory scene uh, in the parking garage, and then we get the scene where Dell brings um, prostitutes or strippers yeah. or uh, ladies of the night. Um, back to the penthouse, and he, he like they he locks eyes with Tate Donovan's character, and it's like clear like Tate Donovan doesn't like him, and it's kind of a racial kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that kind of felt like it was you know kind of sloppy and everything, but it's paid off because of the painting. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So Brian Cranston sells the painting to Tate Donovan's character for fifty thousand dollars after Tate Donovan told him like basically saying that like basically being pretentious, pretentious yeah. and overtly, or maybe a little more subtle than that. Um, subtly like racist, uh, to, about Dell. And then Cranston <laughs> Philip is just like, Oh, you know, this painting is is really impressive. I think it might, like they he's hinting that it might be a Banksy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically uh conning him into buying it. So I I I liked that a lot in terms of payoff for the characters, but I mean that kind of scene and that kind of payoff is kind of few and far between for me. Right. Um yeah, anything like what's up? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm I I don't mean to, but
1: No, you're good. Yeah. Um the only last defense I'll make for it is that, and not that I even care, like I don't necessarily care that people sure. are kind of not, not enjoying the movie as well or kind of, cause it, I think it's deserved, but mm-hmm. um, just personally enjoyed it. But the last defense I'll make for it is that it does have that kind of feel good, happy ending to it. Mm-hmm. And, and overall feel to the movie overall is kind of a happy feel good thing. Um, mm. But in defense of that, it's a true story and in real life, it was actually a happy thing that happened and like a true thing. And so like, sometimes <laughs> stories have happy endings and sometimes, yeah. you know, like so I don't, I, but there could, you could throw more drama and, mm-hmm. uh, suspense or, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Uh, controversy, mm-hmm into the story and still have a happy or positive ending. Mm-hmm. Again, I go back to rain over me. I don't want to spoil that, but see right. the ending of that movie. It's kind of ambiguous if he, um, still positive, but not, not necessarily a happy feeling. Um, so that's possible. But again, like I said, it's, it's a true story. So that's kind of a defense like that in real life, this is how it actually happened. You know, right. There was some happy, it was a happy feeling, a happy ending. So
0: yeah. And I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to speak out of turn because I, I don't have the knowledge base to to really run with this thought that I'm going to present without research. Um, the ending of the movie it ends with like a little script that says like Dell and Philip are still friends to this day, and mm-hmm. it's like oh that's sweet, right? But then like right after that it's like based on the 2011 French film <laughs> The Intouchables, and I'm like <laughs> thinking like okay, well dell and philip don't exist (laughs) um there's like i mean like if the true story is like these you know i presumably these french people (laughs) who are similar like i think it's philippe and like i don't know uh i i don't know dell with like an accent or something um but like i'm just thinking like i it just felt like that, that was, again, something that was just tacked on. Like, they're mm-hmm. friends to this day. In this version of the story, they're, they're friends to this day. Because I feel like that, I don't think that it, the movie doesn't, from what I've heard, the movie doesn't end the way that The Untouchables ends. Uh, okay. um, which I really wish I would have had the chance to, to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it felt like that was just kind of a cookie cutter kind of, kind of way to end it. Because again, I feel like they didn't know how to end, and the movie. Right. And having Nicole Kidman come up and, and like it, that felt really tacked on to. They it. don't even talk. Like they don't. And it's, yeah. it's like implied that, okay, they'll have like their little, I don't know if it, romantic relationship or whatever, but it's, yeah. it's implied that like they're romantically interested in each other. And it's supposed to be this whole thing where it's like, oh, Nicole Kidman has been there all along and everything. And it's like, well, really the only, uh, and again, this is my cynical side and I have no grounds to know whether or not this is the case, but it felt like the way that the, the way that it's presented in the movie, it felt like, uh, the scenes, there's like two scenes where Kevin Hart's like implying that, that, uh, Philip and Yvonne should be. Hookup and everything, it felt like that's like reshoot, like that's reshot and like inserted into the story. Yeah. That, yeah.
1: that payoff at the end wasn't built up too very well.
0: Yeah. Like absolutely. throughout the movie,
1: I was like, well, do they actually like each other? I don't understand. Like, do they actually have romantic feelings towards
0: one another? Right.
1: Um, and it wasn't really played up enough in my book.
0: Yeah. And like the time, the kind of time lapse of like suddenly, like they're not friends anymore. They have the falling out. And then, um, And then uh, Philip grows his depression beard. And then suddenly, like, this is the sense I got from it, which I kind of like thought, okay, this is just tidying it up a little too neatly and kind of silly um, (laughs) that suddenly Dell has this warehouse of like, he is running a company, presumably, that's, that's like manufacturing these, he has like a managerial
1: position. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like I, I got the impression that they were wanting us to believe that he started this company and he is now doing this. And I'm like, in what fucking world (laughs) can he start a company and be that like, like in, in presumably a shortened amount of time? Like it just felt like it was very, I don't know. It felt, it felt weird and disjointed to me. Mm. Um, yeah i I don't know um da, 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 da. yeah I don't know. I mean the movie is similar to what I said in the um bonus review of Escape Room that I recorded with Mike. This is the type of movie that uh, granted had I not seen the trailer dozens of times uh before seeing it like in a year, I would go back and go through my letterbox and think, oh yeah, the upside I saw that yeah, um. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I gave it three stars on, uh, Letterboxd and six on IMDb. So nice. Positive, but not resoundingly.
0: Yeah. I gave it two stars. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But anyway, we're here in January. <laughs> it's January. So yeah. That's, that's what we, uh, that's what we've got to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so let us know what you thought of the upside. Any parting thoughts on the upside? Um,
1: uh, yeah. Oh. Well, I just, to reinforce that, re- I genuinely like Kevin Hart a lot in this. like okay. this is my favorite role of his that I've seen. Nice. I, I really liked him. Yeah.
0: And really quickly, and this should this deserves to be a bigger discussion. Everything, but how do you feel about Brian Cranston in terms of him playing a disabled man but being able-bodied?
1: I don't think it's controversial at okay. all. I mean, are there? Name a quadriplegic actor. Well, I'm sure there's some think, out there. I know there yeah. are, but had, like this is a business. Like I, I always go back to this: this is a business, and part of the business is like you want to draw a crowd, and one of the ways you draw a crowd is you cast popular, quality, mm-hmm. charismatic actors in large roles. And Brian Cranston gets big roles for a reason; he's a damn good actor. Yeah, and I, I don't, I just don't see the controversy at all. I don't, I don't know if it would have. This is I don't I can't say this on any confidence, but I don't know if it would have been as good a movie if they had cast an actual quadriplegic actor or a quadriplegic person who doesn't have acting experience. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would have added quality to the film. Right. I'm not saying that a quadriplegic person can't act because mm-hmm. um, I think they absolutely could. I'm just saying that I I don't I don't agree with that controversy. I'll put it that way. Now, like with some of like the racial whitewashing and stuff that's going on in Hollywood, mm-hmm. with uh, most commonly, I think Asian I, is mm-hmm. are the the ones that come to mind, um, like white people in roles that should be played by an Asian person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty egregious, right? And I think that's a bit that's a problem, and like I agree with that one. But I think this is I just think this is different.
0: Yeah, and I I, I get that to your point about like naming a quadriplegic actor I, yeah. I can't but i think that's also somewhat of the point of it like if someone is a quadriplegic they i mean they don't feel like if they have that kind of acting gene or that drive like they there's no roles for them that yeah they could go for and granted yet yeah, there are extenuating circumstances this is a movie that is being financed and produced by a studio that they want recognizable names and everything. That it's the same thing that we talked about with, um, uh, I a skyscraper with, uh, Dwayne Johnson playing the role of, a of, uh, an above the knee amputee. Right. Um, but I just want to give a shout out real quick to, um, uh, the Easter Seals uh, Disability Film Challenge. Um, I spoke to one of the people in charge of that at Heartland this year. Uh, Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. It's a nonprofit organization that uh, is very much um, very much geared toward you know people uh, collaborating uh, uh, filmmakers and artists who have any type of disability uh, working in networking and, and collaborating and stuff. And it's, uh, it's a really great organization. I, I got such a, uh, such a high off of talking to the guy. I'm so sorry. I can't remember his name. Um, I'm terrible, but, uh, go back and listen to, um, the, the episode there. But anyway, the 2019 Easter Seals disability film challenge, um, it is, I think it's kind of like a, uh, 48 hour film project kind of kind of idea. Okay. Uh this year it's April 5th to the 7th, uh, 2019. You can find more information at disabilityfilmchallenge.com. Um and yeah, that's just like there's I bring that up because there is a there are tons of people, I'm sure, who have various kinds of disabilities that would love the chance to perform and be a part of a production and everything um, that they get overlooked because I don't want to I almost said like, because the Brian Cranston's of the world, not that they're not that Brian Cranston taking the role is a, an inherently negative thing. Um, because I think he caught a little bit of controversy that I don't necessarily agree with because he said that like, he's an actor. That's what he does. He's right. And like the way that the slash film article says that like, if that can bring him to like, if that can put him in the mindset of, like, what it's like to be disabled, like, that's a win for mm-hmm. their camp and everything. Right. Um, so, it's something that, like, we as able bodied men, and we, like, I don't think we really have the uh, knowledge base to really discuss it in too much detail. It's but, true, yeah. Yeah. But I just want to shout out the disabilityfilmchallenge.com, uh, disabilityfilmchallenge.com uh, for more information on that. But, yeah.
1: The way that controversy is addressed in the slash film article is. Well, well said mm-hmm. and, uh, much better than I did anyways. <laughs> um, I agree. With, I agree with his, his position on it. Um, mm-hmm. I think he also kind of said that it's not, he wasn't like upset that Brian Cranston was cast in the role. Right. Um, but he understands why some people were or the, the quote unquote controversy with it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do it for our review of the upside. Um, and I know that we're running a little bit over on our time, mm-hmm. time. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, but real quick, let's, let's kind of round us out with some potpourri. Are you game for that? Yes. Okay. So for first time listeners, potpourri is a section of the podcast where we basically wind things down. We talk about whatever we're into, uh, what we're looking forward to, what we've seen recently, anything we want, as long as it smells good. It's potpourri. Uh, tiny, I have two things. You have uno things. Right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go first. Um, let me bring up my notes here. Um, the first thing I want to bring up is if Beale street could talk. Hmm. Um, so are you familiar with this movie at all?
1: Uh, I've just seen the previews for okay. it.
0: Okay. Have yeah. you seen moonlight? I still haven't seen it yet. You, me neither.
1: Yeah. but I feel bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. But after seeing if Beale street street could talk, I really want to see moonlight. I need, I need to go back and watch it. Nice. um, Basically, if Beale Street could talk is a story of, um, a woman who is basically, uh, pregnant in 1970s, uh, New York and her fiance is incarcerated. And it's basically about, uh, racism and, uh, cr- how the criminal justice system kind of stacks the deck against African Americans. Um, directed by Barry Jenkins, it is a phenomenal, movie it is gorgeous like it is so beautifully filmed and beautifully captured like i it's like it was breathtaking to me like it it's set in the 70s and everything is uh era appropriate so like costume design um and and just the basic set design and set construction is just very much 70s but it it has this undercurrent through it that it's essentially um basically basically uh tish the uh, played by oh god uh, kiki lane uh plays tish and like the movie is about her um her and her family trying the kind of log line is uh, the plot description is a woman in Harlem Harlem embraces her pregnancy while she and her family struggle to prove her fiance innocent of a crime. And it's not like that's not necessarily what the movie as a whole is, because a lot of it is told in flashbacks and it kind of goes back and forth between the present and the past. And the greatest thing about this movie, the, the most just objectively beautiful thing about this movie is the way that the love story of Tish and Fonny played by, uh, uh Stefan James, uh, Stefan James. Um, the way that their love story is depicted. Like I fell in love with the love that they shared. <laughs> like <laughs> it is so pure and beautiful and it's just, it, it is so heartbreaking at times and genuine. And like, like there were times in, throughout the movie where I just got, I got teary eyed. Like I, I I had to kind of hold back tears, not because of anything necessarily inherently dramatic happening on screen. Um, I'll give you an example. So there is a moment with a very kind of bizarre cameo appearance, um, by Dave Franco, oddly enough. Um, so the movie kind of jumps back and forth between, uh, the past and the present. So there is basically, there's a scene where, uh, Fonny and Tish are walking down the street after having met with, with a character played by Dave Franco. Um, very heartfelt scene. Um, there's, there's a great line that Dave Franco's character says that he, he digs, he digs people who love each other or, or, uh, he digs, I forget exactly what he said, but it's, it's a very kind of, uh, beautiful turn of phrase that I can't remember, but, um, it's after the scene that they're walking down the street and, they just explode in this celebration of like excitement for their future. And at this point in the movie, like, you know that they don't have that future. And it's like, it is so heartbreaking because not because the movie is trying to manipulate you into feeling like sad for their story. It's just, the movie has roped you in and has taken, has, has brought you into their relationship and you having that knowledge of the future makes it so heartbreaking in a very organic and non-manufactured way. It's just, it's so it's beautiful, beautiful storytelling. Um, and I do want to a out another thing about it. Um, Brian Tyree Henry. Um, he is a force to be reckoned with. Um, I, I loved him in widows. I just recently started watching Atlanta. I'm um, about five or six episodes and he's killing it on that show um as paperboy, but in this movie, and if Beale Street could talk, he has one scene and uh yeah, one scene that like he delivers a monologue that is it is one of the best acted monologues I've seen in a long time. Wow. And it's haunting and it's just it it informs it informs the story in such a vivid way without showing anything. It's, it's so beautifully constructed and the movie is beautifully written. It's based on a James Baldwin novel from uh, the seventies. Um, but then the the final, final thing (laughs) I'll say is that there's a scene also earlier in the movie where Tish is telling her family about the pregnancy and they are telling they then, they then bring in more characters and they tell, they tell the characters the way that this scene is constructed, conceived, performed, edited, everything is vibrant. It's, it's beautiful because it feels like you're in the audience of a stage play and it's like everything like there, it's an ensemble that people are going back and forth and it's just, it's so it's so captivating and well acted that I just I love that scene. Um but yeah, anyway, that's if Bill Street could talk. It is uh it's great. Um I it probably would have it probably would've cracked my top ten if I had seen it before. Wow. The year in review episode. Huh. Can't can't oversay it enough. Very beautiful, very moving, very powerful. Um I loved it. Yeah. Nice. In Tiny, it is currently playing at Southern Plaza. Okay. Um so, you know, A-list. You yeah, know. I'll try to see it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's my first potpourri. Cool. Uh, what do you got? Um,
1: I wanted to talk about a uh, a comedy special, actually, that I saw on Netflix. Um, nice. I don't talk about comedy specials a lot, but um, uh, my wife just kind of clicked on, just kind of found, scrolling through Netflix, uh, the latest special from Neil Brennan. Uh, it's called Three Mics. Um I just kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even know that Neil Brennan did stand up. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that. Um, I remember when he kind of got famous, uh, for Chappelle's show. Yeah. Um, and like I remember like reading in interviews about, you know, him talking about the end of that, uh, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. He was kind of holding a winning lottery ticket and had it ripped out of his hand, sort of. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, so I wasn't even familiar that he did. I wasn't even familiar with him as a stand up comic, but, mm-hmm. uh, we started watching the show and just the, the, the setup and the structure of it I th- was something I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called three mics because there are three mics on stage and at each microphone, he kind of employs a different, um, a different method of communicating with the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the microphones is just him literally kind of saying like one liner jokes. And then another microphone is him doing more traditional narrative style stand up. And then the third microphone, he actually like shares kind of stories from his life. It's more of an insight into who he is as a person. And it's much more, it's not as blatantly funny. It's kind of situationally funny, but it's more dramatic than anything else. It's actually kind of cuts to like who he is as a person. Um, and his experiences in life that have kind of influenced who he is. Um, and I I actually. I was surprised at how much I appreciated the contrast Mm -hmm. Um, because it talks about like the death of his father and how he had a horrible relationship with his father and all this stuff and this very personal stuff on one microphone. And then he like literally seconds later, he's cracking a one liner and it's just kind of, it's sort of strange and I would think that would be a, um, a bit, a bit disconnecting or it would, it would that shuffle and, Change back and forth between such huge, hugely different genres would mm-hmm. would be uh, disorienting and it would cause one or the other or both to fail, but it worked surprisingly well. Um, I, I would be, my favorite, it's hard to say what was my favorite. I think the one liners were, they were funny, but it was kind of, I think that was arguably the more out of place, uh, scenario. I think the, the the storytelling and then the kind of stand up went hand in hand pretty well. Um I would be ecstatic to see just straight up stand up for him cuz I mm-hmm. thought he his stand up was hysterical. Yeah. Um I I I thought it was fantastic but uh yeah, he's he's got a heck of a story and he's a really interesting guy. Um and I I was surprised to learn a lot of it and uh, it's it's interesting to see I listen to a lot of podcasts with comedians, stand-up comedians, and it's mm-hmm. it's always fascinating to learn people's processes and, and what experiences they had in life that led them to the path of comedy. Um, and, and Neil Brennan falls into that category. He's definitely an interesting guy, and because of traumatic life experiences, he actually turned him into, into a very funny person, and that's mm-hmm. part of what makes him such a good stand-up is... The frankly kind of shitty life he had and, and the tra- trauma and, and issues he has as a person actually influence and, uh, drive his, his comedy. It's, it's really a funny thing. Um, I hear a lot of comedians talk about how stand up com- stand up comedians are usually like pretty messed up people. Um, mm. they have a lot of, it's, stand up comedy has a very therapeutic, nature to it and that's the reason why some of them do it is because it's it's like therapy to them because they're actually kind of messed up people and they have a lot of issues and it's a good outlet for that so it's 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 sort of a funny or an ironic thing to think about someone being so depressed or or having such negative terrible life translating into comedy it's it's Mm -hmm. it's one of the whole you know tragedy is comedy kind of things it's it doesn't make a lot of sense but it's it's a fascinating aspect of of that genre uh, and i think this comedy special really really exemplifies that notion and and does it does it to a, a really kind of an extreme level that i that i just wasn't expecting at all it's uh, it's real. It's a really good special. I loved it. Um, you actually watched it. Nice, didn't you? Uh,
0: I did. And it's funny because I did not get into it at first. And really? It's specifically because I downloaded it to my phone from Netflix. Uh, okay. And I basically listened to it. I listened to half of it at work because I just I kind of set my phone down and had my headphones in and was doing work. I was listening to it like it was a podcast or audio or like a comedy special. Or like a comedy album. Um, and then, uh, halfway through, I, I stopped listening to it because I was working. And then I came home and watched the rest of it. And then when I watched the rest of it, that's when I realized like, Oh, the whole three mics thing. like That's why it's so weird that he's going from super serious to stand up to one liners and stuff. Like it felt very weird just listening to that. <laughs> to yeah. that. Um, but watching it, like, this was really good. Like, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, he was, it was, it's really funny, very poignant, very, um, candid. I, I loved the candor that he had. And I do want to point out, like, one, uh, one line that he had that, w- when he was talking about his depression and everything, and the medication and, and the way that he tried to treat it, the, uh, I've, I've said before, I'm, I'm on antidepressants, uh, my crazy pills, my happy pills, but, um, <laughs> and I, like, I, I have depression, like literally, like the, the way that he says it is like, I'm depressed. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, Oh, I'm depressed. Kobe retired. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, I have clinical depression and like, I'm, I'm the same way I have like g- clinical, like diagnosed depression. And the way that he phrases it, he says, uh, quote, depression to me has always felt like a virus that attacks your brain with negative thoughts. Mm. And, like, that is, like, unbelievably true. Like, that's so pitch perfect. Wow. Um, And his candor about um, those issues, his his issues with his father, and, like, all of that was just – so uh so just candid and, and real and i just I, I loved it um yeah also really funny dude <laughs> yeah totally yeah um yeah so uh, anything else on three mics Nope, that's it okay cool well i'm gonna i'm gonna round us out with a quick quick thoughts on free solo so free solo is a documentary um That is, I referenced it in our year in review episode. Basically it is a documentary about this, uh, climber who is a free soloist, which means that he climbs, he climbs without assistance of rope or harnesses or anything. So literally like he is climbing without any, anything. So any, yeah, any small slip up, any small mistake, he's dead. Like, Point of fact, he is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if there is one, one small hiccup and everything. Um, and like watching the documentary, I, I saw it at the IMAX downtown in Indianapolis, uh, largest screen in the state. Um, holy crap. This documentary was intense. Um, and very fascinating. I wrote a review. It's on obsessive Um, link in the show notes and everything. Basically, this documentary from the outset, what I wanted to like going into it, I like my thought was, why would anyone do this? Like, why, what could possibly possess a human being to do this? Like, there is no reason to, to do that. Um, I I just couldn't fathom it at all, especially being someone who is extremely acrophobic. <laughs> I I just can't fathom it. Yeah. Um, and right off the bat, the documentary like shows like, uh, basically asks that question in the form of a TV interview that he did, that uh, Alex uh, Honold, um, did where he's asked that question and he's like, his rationale is that like, well. you can die at any time, any minute of any day, anyone could die. What's the difference if he's climbing or walking down the street or something? Um, and, uh, on the surface, I'm like, okay, I I get that. But also no, um, (laughs) I'm good. Um, like (laughs) that doesn't make me want to go walk in traffic or climb something ridiculous. Um, and like the movie, the documentary is about his, Um, attempt to climb El Capitan, uh, a 3200 foot wall in Yosemite National Park. Jesus. Um, and it is so riveting and so fascinating, not because, not necessarily because he's trying to do this, but because he as a character, as a subject, is so interesting to me. (laughs) He has this, kind of demeanor about him where like his whole life he breathes climbing like he like it's not like this uh this attempt to scale el capitan is uh el cap for short um is for like fame and glory or anything like that it's just he just wants to do it he's done like 50 or uh, he's done hundreds of free solo climbs and everything. This just happens to be the big one. Mm -hmm. Um, he's not doing like the documentary. Isn't like saying like, Oh, look at what a hero this guy is, or look how fearless he is. It's like, he's just going to do this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and what's fascinating to me is that he is someone who lives and breathes this lifestyle. This, this, this is his, his drug to the point that he lives comfortably in a van (laughs) Um, and he, like, he's just this very peculiar yet charismatic guy. Like there, there are a couple scenes where he's, he's cooking, he's cooking food. He's a, he's a vegetarian. Um, he's cooking food on his little stove in the van and like, he's, it's, it's like he's, he's like making like potatoes and like vegetables and eggs or something. And like, he's, he's doing it all together and he's taking a bite of it, but like I mean, he's just, he's holding the skillet. He's taking a spatula and he's eating the spatula. they just like, yeah, it's pretty good. Jeez. Um, but yeah, so he has this, he has this demeanor about him. That's just so whimsically charming that I was just like, like I was watching. I was like, please don't die. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. But, uh, probably one of the even more arguably more interesting than the fact that he's trying to climb this, uh, this he's trying to do this ridiculous thing, by the way, No one has climbed, no one has free soloed, um, L cap at all. So like this, he would be the first person to do it. Um, but there is an, there's another kind of extenuating circumstance that he is dating someone. And so the documentary documents the, uh, his relationship with Sonny and they talk, like, it is so interesting to see how they work. Cause like their dynamic is very, interesting because she is someone who you know loves him and he is someone who is kind of emotionally distant and closed off because his entire life is this hobby and like he doesn't i would argue that he's maybe not socially adjusted (laughs) um and so it's just it's very interesting to see like the the candidness of their relationship and how they work together and how their relationship functions it's just fascinating document documentarianism um (laughs) Uh, finally, finally the uh, but the, the kind of um bread and butter of this documentary is that the footage is mm-hmm. awe inspiring. um the camera crew captures these images that are so breathtaking um and it uh, another kind of undercurrent of it is like the filmmakers are close friends of Alex's and like it's like theres there are numerous times where they're like, they're planning out how they're gonna shoot this foot fu- this film because the kind of underlying thing is that like just the fact that this that that this attempt that's again has never been completed uh by a human solo, like without any rope or anything, uh the fact that it's being filmed is like there's a fear that it's going to affect his concentration. His like it's just him being him being shot with it is like going to affect his ability to do it. And then also there's another element to it that it's like the cameramen like what if they accidentally get in his way and kill him? And it's just, it's so riveting and tense. Like, I mean, I, it was one of the most like, sweated palms and nervous kind of energy I've had in a documentary. Wow. Um, very good. Very good documentary. Sounds awesome. Yep. And that's Free Solo. If you're in Indianapolis it is currently playing this week I think is the only week it's doing it um, at the IMAX downtown. Cool. So yeah. Um, yeah. So having said I think we're about done. Uh, Tiny, you need to go to bed. Yep. Um, I need to put my pizza away. Um... Next week on the podcast, uh, very excited because I think you and I are going to do a double bonus review. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically Hulu has released a, um, <laughs> a documentary about the Fire Festival, which I had read about when it was happening. Um, a very high end, um, extravagant music festival on an island that was like, thrown by, like, Ja Rule was involved in it, Mm -hmm. and it ended up being a complete disaster. People were stranded on an island and stuff. So Hulu has this documentary, Fire uh, Fire Fraud, and Fire with a Y, and then Netflix, in a few days, by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll be probably posted, but um, Netflix has a documentary as well that they're releasing this week called Fire Festival or fire the greatest party that never was. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch both. We're going to review both and it's going to be a bonus episode. And then, uh, I'm hoping that the main episode next week will be a review of glass. So I, it might be me and Kirsten or me and tiny. I don't know. We'll figure it out, but, uh, we're going to hopefully review glass. So, so, have you said that? Tiny, anything else? Uh, I don't Tenny? think so. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and, uh, yeah, uh, see you next time. Thanks, guys. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. But yeah, when Glass comes out, do you like w- when you see it in the theater? Um, say you see it with like a, I don't know, a, 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 the the theater. I'm afraid for the rest. Capacity is like there's there's a decent amount of people there. Mm-hmm. Would you look at it as a glass half full or gla- glass half empty? <laughs>
1: God damn it! You have this little smirk that you cannot hide I know. when you're getting ready to make a pun. <laughs> and at first, I was like, "Okay, where's this going?" And like, I didn't. And then the smirk just—you you were trying really hard. I know, but I could see it.
0: And I was trying to think of
2: the phrasing. The Obsessive Viewer Podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. feckus, and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at TeePublic.com, T-E-E-Public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to ObsessiveViewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at AnthologyPod.com at the secular The theme music for the obsessive viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at Facebook.com slash as good as it gets band. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: Kitty